Welcome to the study of Luke. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we do thank you that you've allowed us to gather together again and that you've given us ways to gather even when we can't do it physically. Father, we do thank you for this book of Luke. It is, as Kim said, full of treasure. Help us to see Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. All right, so this semester, as you know, we're studying Luke. I'm so excited about studying Luke. I've been waiting for this for like three years. Luke is a gospel, and the gospel, as Jimmy said Sunday, means good news. So ever since the disastrous fall in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been waiting. They've been waiting for the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent promised to Adam and Eve, waiting for the descendant of Abraham who would bless the world promised to Abraham, Isaac, and, J- and Jacob, waiting for the ruler whom the people would obey, promised to Judah. Waiting for the greater prophet who would speak God's word, promised to Moses. Waiting for the son and Lord who would rule an eternal kingdom, promised to David. The one foretold in the prophets, sung of in the Psalms. The one pictured in the temple in all the sacrifices and rituals and holidays. The suffering servant who would atone for the sins of his people, promised to Isaiah. The God, who would make our hearts new, willing and able to obey, promised to Ezekiel. The Gospels announce that the promised one has come, and his name is Jesus. And this is very good news indeed, the one who would give us the righteousness that God requires. So this semester, we're going to study the good news, according to Luke. Luke is one of three synoptic Gospels. Synoptic is a strange word. It means optic means to see, and sin, the prefix, means the same. So there are three gospels that look at a lot of the same things: Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke runs parallel to Matthew and Mark, but Luke has his own unique perspective. He adds a significant amount of new material to the other two gospels: stories, parables, miracles that are not in the other two. Some of the best-known Bible stories, um, the, the Nativity account, the Good Samaritan, the Prodigal Son, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, if you remember your Sunday school song, these are all found only in Luke. Luke is the only gospel that has a sequel. The book of Acts is actually Luke part two. Luke and Acts together are the continuing story of Christ building his church. Now, we did this a little bit backwards because we've already studied Acts, but that's okay because they can stand separately. So let's look at Luke. And we'll start by looking at the envelope like we always do. You remember when you used to get actual mail and it would have whoever sent it in one corner in the postmark that would tell you when it, came, when it was sent and who it was addressed to. We're going to look at the envelope for Luke. Um, let's turn to Luke 1, and we'll start by reading the first four verses of Luke This is Luke's introduction to his gospel. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed things closely for some time, Past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. 
So who was our envelope from? Well, when you opened up your Bible, you saw at the top of the page, the name of the book is The Gospel According to Luke. That's not inspired scripture. That's a title that people have put in there afterwards. It may surprise you to know that none of the Gospels have a title or anything in the text that identify the writer. This doesn't mean nobody knows who wrote them. The early church knew who wrote the Gospels. The early church fathers unanimously agreed that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written by, surprise, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't until the 19th century when so-called biblical scholars tried to disprove the Bible that it even came into question who wrote the Gospels. We can safely say that Luke wrote this Gospel. So who was Luke? What do we know about him? Well, we know from Acts that Luke was a companion of Paul on some of his missionary journeys. You can see it in the book of Acts, which Luke wrote, and he'll be talking about he did this or they went there, and suddenly the pronouns change to we did this and we went there. And the we passages are where Luke joins Paul on the journey. We know Luke's name is not Jewish. It's a Roman name. In one of Paul's letters, Paul names those who minister among him, who are of the circumcision, that is, who are Jewish. And Luke's name is not there. We, so we know that Luke was a Gentile. He was not born a Jew. He was not a converted Jew because he wasn't circumcised. We know from his writings that Luke is a Christian. Church tradition says that he was a member of the church at Antioch, and if you remember from Acts, Antioch was Paul's sending church on his missionary journeys. So that's probably where Luke was converted and where Luke met Paul. We know that Luke himself was not an eyewitness to Jesus' ministries. He says so in the introduction. But he studied things and interviewed eyewitnesses. He went to the actual sources in his search for the truth. We know that Luke was highly educated. Those who speak Greek say that his vocabulary and his sentence structure is highly sophisticated Greek. We know that Luke was a medical doctor. In Colossians 4.14, Paul calls him Luke, the beloved physician. To me, that explains a lot about the way Luke writes. I'm married to a doctor. I used to be a nurse. So I've got a lot of experience with doctors. They're consumed by the search for the truth, and they know the answers will be found in the details. Luke is chock full of details. I say it's OCD. <laughs> My husband says it's attention to detail. <laughs> They're trained to observe and study facts. Uh, what are the symptoms? How do they relate to this treatment or that treatment? How are they helped by this medicine or that medicine? And they're not satisfied until they find the right answer. And you can see this in Luke's writing. He dedicated time to study what had happened. He looked at all the details, how they fit together, and came to a conclusion so that the truth could be known. And we know that Luke is a first-class historian. In Luke and Acts, we see so many people's names and their correct titles and dates and 32 countries and... 54 cities and nine islands and trade routes and topography, all accurate and recorded in meticulous detail. In the 1800s, there was a famous archaeologist, Sir William Ramsey, and he didn't believe the Bible was true. 
but he went to the Middle East to study. And after years of work in the Middle East, he came to the conclusion that Luke was an historian of the first rank. So we know he's a good historian. So let's look back at our envelope. What's the date on the postmark? When was Luke written? Well, we can't really tell from the gospel, but the book of Acts gives us some clues. In Acts 21, Luke says that we, Luke, Paul, and some others, went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Paul was arrested. Paul spent two years in prison in Israel, and then he finally demanded, because he had the right as a Roman citizen, to be heard before Caesar in Rome. The journey to Rome happens in Acts 27. Paul describes how we set sail and how we were shipwrecked on Malta. Luke may have been in Israel for that entire two years of Paul's imprisonment. He came with Paul, and he left with Paul. And what better time was there to interview eyewitnesses? Can't you just picture him sitting down with Mary and hearing the story about how, as a child, she accidentally left Jesus behind in Jerusalem? This is only found in Luke. Or sitting down with Peter, and Peter telling him about when he denied Christ. And after he denied Christ for the third time, the cock crowed, and Jesus turned and looked at him. That just gives me chills every time I read it. But who could he hear that from but Peter? Well, Acts concludes with Paul in prison in Rome. It's his first imprisonment, which we know was around 62 AD. Luke doesn't tell us about the outcome of the trial or really anything that happens after that point. He just leaves Paul at the end of Acts in prison. So I think we can assume, it's safe to assume, that Acts was written no later than 62 AD, or he would have included the outcome of the trial or the great persecution that broke out after that. Luke's gospel, we know, was written before that time. It's the first letter to Theophilus. So probably sometime between 60 and 62 AD. No one's, prob no one's positively sure of the date, but this makes the most sense. It was within 30 years of the crucifixion. A lot of eyewitnesses would still be alive. And Luke was probably in Israel for two years and able to interview them. So probably 60 to 62. So to whom is our envelope addressed? Well, both Luke and Acts are addressed to Theophilus. And who was Theophilus? Again, we don't know. Um, Theophilus means lover of God or loved by God. Apparently, it was a common name in Roman culture, and it didn't necessarily refer to Yahweh when it said God. Some have suggested that Luke was not writing to a real person at all, but that the name means he's writing to anyone who loves God. And although Luke's gospel is certainly for anyone who loves God, I believe it was originally written to a real person because of the title. He calls him Most Excellent Theophilus, and Most Excellent was a Roman title. Paul addresses the governors of Israel, Festus and Felix, with the term most excellent. So some have suggested that Theophilus maybe was an official who was involved with Paul's trial in Rome, and that Luke was writing a kind of a defense brief for him. It's possible. Others have suggested that maybe Theophilus was Luke's patron, a rich man who sent Luke to investigate things, and that's also possible, but we don't really know. 
We do know he was a real man of some standing in Roman society. Was he a Christian? Again, we don't know. We know that he had been taught things about Jesus from Luke's introduction, but we really don't know anything else about him. So let's open up our letter and look inside. I'm going to talk about a few general themes that you're going to see in the book of Luke and then give you an outline for the book. One of Luke's themes, and you'll see it all over Luke and Acts, is that Jesus has come to redeem the whole world, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Both Luke and Matthew contain a genealogy. Matthew was written mostly to the Jews, so he traces Jesus' human heritage back to Abraham. Luke's genealogy goes all the way back long before Abraham to Adam. Jesus was sent to all mankind. Luke sees that salvation was offered first to the Jews, and also, when they mostly rejected it, it didn't derail God's plan in any way. God's plan has always been to offer salvation to the Gentiles. Luke presents Jesus as the Savior of the world. Now, to us, it doesn't seem like a big deal because our church is mostly Gentile. But to Luke's audience in the early church, and especially to a Gentile like Theophilus, this was such a big deal. According to Jewish tradition, the Pharisees would pray every day, Bless you, God, that you have not made me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Those were the worst of the worst. Women and shepherds were not even allowed to testify in court because they were considered so unreliable. Yet in Luke's gospel, we see the two most important announcements, the birth and the resurrection of Jesus, given first to shepherds and women. We know from John's gospel that the Jewish people believed that when bad things happened to you, poverty or illness or injury, that it happened because someone in your family or you yourself had sinned. Well, Jesus healed the sick. He blessed the poor. He said his kingdom was for such as these. Jesus ate with outsiders like tax collectors and sinners. Luke's gospel has a major emphasis on outsiders of all kinds, women, poor, children, sick, Roman collaborators like tax collectors, slaves, Gentiles. Luke's gospel says to the religious establishment, no, the good news is meant for these outsiders. It's meant for those who know they're needy, for those who are humble. Another theme you'll notice in Luke, and we saw it in Acts as well, is the activity of the Holy Spirit. Beginning with the nativity story, continuing throughout the life of Jesus and into the early days of the church, you'll see the Holy Spirit actively working to bring about the salvation of God. God hasn't left us to do the best we can. He sent his Spirit to guarantee the salvation of those he calls. R.C. Sproul calls Luke the theologian of the Holy Spirit. So when you're listing the things you see about God in your workbook, don't forget what you see about God the Holy Spirit. Another theme I hope you'll notice in Luke is the importance of prayer and praise. We see people all over Luke and Acts 
praying and singing songs of praise, which are prayers. So when you study the songs and the prayers and the things that Luke has to say about prayer in Luke's gospel, you'll learn a lot about prayer. And the last theme I'm going to talk about, although there are many others, is discipleship. As you study, one of the repeated words we asked you to mark in your workbooks is disciple. What does it mean to learn from Jesus and walk in the way of God? What does it mean to be a disciple? And Luke has a lot to say about that. So I promised you an outline for the book. In Luke's introduction, he promises to Theophilus to write an orderly account. Now, an orderly account doesn't mean that Luke's going to tell us everything that happened during Jesus' ministry. John's gospel says if everything that happened was written down, the whole world couldn't contain the books. Luke's goal in writing is to present the events in a logical way. Guided by the Holy Spirit, he chose some, left out others, and arranged his material in the best way to present Jesus. Now, there are many outlines of this book, but my favorite is Philip Rikens. In Luke 19.10, Jesus describes his own ministry. If you don't memorize any other verses in Luke, this is a good one, because this is Jesus talking about why he's here. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And this makes an excellent three-part outline for the book. The Son of Man came for the lost. That's chapters 1 through 413. And this section is about the coming of Jesus, the birth stories, the preparation up to the beginning of his ministry. Part 2, the Son of Man came to seek the lost. And that's chapters 414 through 950. This includes Jesus' time in Galilee, where he teaches, performs miracles, and gathers disciples. He seeks those who were lost and finds many who are willing to follow him, but also many who reject him. And then at 951, there's a turning point. 951 tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that marks our third division. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This section is about salvation. It runs from 951 to the end of the book. In this section, Jesus heads relentlessly to Jerusalem, where his great work of salvation will be accomplished. He came not only to seek men to be his disciples, but to lay down his life as an atoning sacrifice for the lost so that they could be reconciled to God. And his resurrection proves the effectiveness of his sacrifice. So Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I think that's a good outline of Luke. So the last thing I want to talk about is this. Why did Luke write this orderly account? Well, verse 4 of Luke's introduction tells us, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. Luke is sometimes called the gospel of certainty or the gospel of knowing for sure. He wrote it so that Theophilus would know for sure that what he'd been told about Jesus was real, that he would have an infallible, absolute assurance of the truth. Well, by extension, all of us who love God may have that same assurance. 
Luke's gospel can give us all assurance about our faith. Because as sinners struggling to live in this fallen world, we struggle with doubts. I don't think I'm the only one who sometimes struggles with doubts. We strive to have the full assurance of faith that the Bible calls us to. Luke says this in his gospel. If you want assurance, don't look to yourself. Don't look to your good deeds. Don't look to your spiritual experiences. Don't look to your abject failures, but look to Jesus. Look to Jesus because he is the gospel, the man who came to seek and save the lost. You'll have assurance when you have certainty about Jesus and what he's accomplished. And Luke wants you to have that certainty. So let's pray. Um, I found this prayer in one of my commentaries. It's from the 1662 English Book of Common Prayer, and it mentions Luke. So I don't generally like to read prepared prayers, but I'm going to read this for you. Let's pray. Almighty God, who called Luke the physician, whose praise is in the gospel, to be an evangelist and a physician of the soul, may it please thee that by the wholesome medicines of the doctrine delivered by him, all the diseases of our soul may be healed through the merits of thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.